I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. As you know, I teach cooking classes and I teach baking classes. And for the last uh, 10 years or so, I have been baking in clay ovens. Really? Yeah, big clay pots. Mm-hmm. Some of them called cloches. Um, because of what they add to that baking experience, um, and actually the quality and taste of the bread, oh. that enclosure uh, keeps moisture in to that baking process mm-hmm. and really encourages a huge rise in the sourdoughs I didn't know that, that I make. And so partway through, usually halfway through my baking, I lift the lid off the cloche Mm -hmm. and the crust becomes amazingly crispy. Mm. It makes for not only beautiful bread, but really delicious bread. Well, lo and behold, you know, I've been like you, I've been baking forever, um, 10 years in these cloches. But since, well, we don't want to go back that far, (laughs) decades. But it's only been recently that I've come to appreciate clay vessels of different kinds for cooking. Mm. And it's an ancient way to make beans or roasts or or cook fish, make tangines. It's an ancient way to cook from all over the world. Mm. And it's so much fun to become reacquainted and sometimes familiar for the first time with this way to actually get the most from your food. And what I've discovered on Facebook is a very enthusiastic and fast-growing group. There must be several groups devoted to clay cooking. Wow. Well, being new to this, of course, I kind of went on the Internet and looked around to see who's making these vessels, who can tell me more about their history, what are the different kinds of clay pots that are out there. Can all of them be used equally? Do some have advantages over others? And wouldn't you know, um, there are many clay producers, and one of those that has been, uh, that has risen to a great deal of renown is out of Hutchinson, Minnesota. Not that far away. Not that far away. And And the business is called, the pottery is called Clay Coyote, and we have with us this morning the CEO and president of that wonderful business, Morgan Baum. Your pottery uh, was really instrumental in um, Paula Wolfert's kind of experiences with American potters. Uh, Paula Wolfart being the uh, author of Mediterranean Clay Pot Cooking. You're right there, uh, Tom Wirt and Betsy Price are mentioned right in the introduction of the book because of their because of their excellent pots. Well, Paul, Morgan, tell us a bit about Clay Coyote. You're located in Hutchinson, but how did this pottery start there? 
Well, you know, I'm the second generation owner of the Clay Coyote with my husband, Ian Baum. And you just mentioned my mother, Betsy Price, and her business partner, Tom Wirt. They founded the business when I was 12. Um, so I, I've definitely been there since the beginning um, at points begrudgingly. And, um, you know, like any 12-year-old girl would be. And we, you know... My folks started making pots, and then they had so many that they said, well, we got to get some of these out of the house. So they signed up for their first art show in 1992, and they were kind of hooked. They um, they were so hooked that they left their corporate jobs outside of Chicago, and they moved to a farm in Hutchinson, Minnesota, and that was when I really got begrudging. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, a 14-year-old girl getting moved to a new high school in a small rural town, and um, and my folks wanted to make pottery for a living, and I, you know, I gave them a little guff um, at times more than others, and um, and you know, surprised me. It was the best decision we've ever made in our life. That you know, they that they were willing to take that risk for the love of art, and you know, and they brought two kids along with them, and. You know, 20 years later, I, I was able to come back and, and take the, you know, the torch from my folks and carry the business on. So it's been, been a wild ride. Well, let me ask you, Morgan. So they came from Chicago, landed in Hutchinson, began this business. Um, they had too many pots, and so they had to find new homes for, for these pots. <laughs> was it always about art, or did they always make some utilitarian uh, vessels as well? You know, we're a pretty pragmatic family, so almost every single piece of clay coyote pottery has dual uses of beauty and function. I mean, we we like to put our pots into action. There, We always say we don't make pottery that collects dust. We make pottery that collects memories, and we want you to be using it as much as possible. Um, and, you know, we love looking at other pieces of art, and, of course, we have them all over our homes, but our pottery is designed to be put into action. Now, a little bit more about yourself before we get into the, the pots themselves and about clay cooking. You eventually left Hutchinson. So what was your career path like? <laughs> well, it's been a wild ride, too. I um, My first degree from Wisconsin was in political science and journalism, which is still a huge passion of mine. I think that, you know, you can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, making pots and making um, change in your community. And so I've always enjoyed um, public service. And so I went to Washington, D.C. to be an investigative journalist. And I moved from that role to a um, an advocate and lobbyist for consumer product safety. And that does play a big role in my pottery career as well. And then from there, um, we I stayed with an organization called Consumer Reports, which most people know for the magazine, but is a really wonderful consumer advocate organization and I was there for 12 years as a advocate um, a partnership um, person and a uh, fundraiser for at the end of my career so I'm I was really fortunate to be with Consumer Reports they helped me get a master's in fundraising and really taught me a lot about um, how to be a advocate for consumers in the world. So I'm, I'm glad I did that. And then um, in 2016, that's when my husband and I came back and bought the business and 
gave um, my folks the chance to retire. Wow. So you left the country, countryside only to come back again. Yeah, you know, Hutchinson has a way to pull you home. <laughs> well, lucky for us. Because as I took a look at your website, uh, I was really taken in by the beauty, as you mentioned, the beauty of your pottery. Now, you are you yourself are not a potter. Well, the way we look at it at the Clay Coyote is we all help make the pots, but I don't self-describe as a potter. You know, we'll have one person who throws, we'll have one person who trims, we'll have one person who sands, we'll have a different person firing and glazing. And so at times, depending on the day and who's around, I, I pop in and do all of those different tasks, but I don't do it on a daily basis. All right. So you actually have a team of potters that works yeah, to... Six of us. There's six. Okay. To help make the pots that, that, that come out of Clay Coyote. And what kind of volume do you do? Um, we try and stay around 5,000 pots a year. Um, we would love to make more because we always know that there's another order around the corner for a piece for somebody who wants to start cooking with clay just like you did. And um, so we're trying to go a little bit, a little bit bigger next year, but we, you know, we don't, we don't want to suffer um, quality for quantity. So around 5,000 pieces a year. Now I have a question that may sound rather rudimentary, but uh, uh, it's actually two-part. Where does the clay come from, and does it take a special kind of clay in order to do what you do? Well, that's a great question, Dave. So the clay is made by Continental in Minneapolis. Um, which is our clay provider, but they use a recipe that my folks gave them. And it's all clay, you know, is from the ground and you mix it back up into different, um, it's, you know, it's a recipe too. So you mix up up different quantities of um, particles from the ground, silica and ores and sands and, um, and you put it all into a, into a mixer and then it comes out and we order it in a wet form you can order it in a dry form and and add moisture to it once you get it to you but that's that takes a lot of extra work um and so every every clay recipe is a little different so you're familiar with porcelain you're familiar with terracotta you know the red clay from that you get at the garden store um you're familiar with a stoneware which is kind of the traditional um brown clay that would be in a plate or a mug um you might be familiar with a white clay which is kind of a um it can't be fired very hot so it you know but it's good for if you ever take a clay class in school you've used to white clay um and then there's flameware and only a few potters have um kind of perfected the recipe of flameware across the united states and um there are international clays and we you know that have properties to expand and contract and take high heat but domestically in the united states we have to create our own body of clay that can do that and so um our flameware recipe is a amalgamation of other potters who's come before who created their own recipes and um and then once you have a clay body you have to have a glaze body that can um, go on top of the clay and not flake off or crack or um, be ugly. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> you have to find um, you have to find the perfect pair between the clay body and the fl- and the um, the glazed body. All right, let's step back just a little bit because um, some of us are still getting used to this whole clay thing. And even though I've seen stoneware and I've seen earthenware and terracotta and maybe I've seen flameware, I'm really I'm really just now beginning to notice the differences in them. So as you mentioned so well, terracotta is that red kind of clay that we see in clay pots when we go to a garden center or maybe when we've even bought some clay pots. So this terracotta, is it also called earthenware? Um, sometimes, yes, it is also called earthenware. And it just, so I would say that the terracotta that you see at the garden center is a little bit different than the earthenware you see at a cooking store that might be designed to make bread in. Okay. So this red stuff, um, it's, is it fired at a different temperature? What, what are some of the uses or some of the the cautions when using terracotta? Well, so that's a great question too. So there's different clays for for different purposes all the way along. And so if you were to use a an earthenware, you might want to use it for warming or baking or roasting in the oven and heat it you're not going to want to put it directly over over the flame because okay. it's not necessarily designed to take that shock of cold to hot. But it is great because oftentimes earthenware or terracotta is unglazed. And certain people, when they're cooking, are looking for a clay that does not have that outer glaze on it. And there's different reasons for that. You might want a more porous clay because of what you're making, where you want the the item you're making to season your clay, almost like cast iron. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you might want um, to not have that shiny surface of a glaze that that creates almost a nonstick environment. You might want actually to have a a less slick environment for your, for the thing you're cooking. So people use different, different clays for, for different purposes. All right. So one of the things that I'm beginning to learn about using clay in the uh, in my cooking is that when you've got a terracotta pot and you're going to be making this chicken that I had mentioned earlier, you actually put it into a cold oven and then heat it up in order to avoid that thermal shock that you talked about or cracking of the clay pot. Yes, you 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 often would want to start in a cold oven. We, you know, we're used to it's. I've been trying to figure out exactly where it came from. I've been doing some research, but we're used to recipes that always say preheat your oven to X, and it's not always necessary to preheat your oven. It's okay um, to put your chicken piece in a you know in your clay pot in the oven and let it come up to temperature with your oven. In fact, um, some environmentalists actually appreciate you using that preheat time because it's not wasted energy. So I've been looking at that as a positive reason for why we should cook with more clay. Um, And then also the same would go for stoneware, which is another another body of clay that we use. Um, Stoneware wants to change temperatures slowly. Uh It doesn't like to have that shock. 
All right. All right. Now, stoneware, is that something that's very often glazed? Yes. Almost always stoneware will be found glazed. And and stoneware, the fun part about stoneware is it's been around for so long and used with glazes for so long that you can have a, a lot of different um, techniques and methods and um, glazes and you, you can get really creative with stoneware. Wow. All right. And then we come to that category that you mentioned called flameware. What are the advantages of this? Well, last night I was cooking with a skillet made out of flameware and I had it in a 500 degree oven full of vegetables. I took it out of the oven and I put it right into the sink and turned cold water on it and it did not crack. Whoa. Wow, that's amazing because you'll even get some warping in metal when you do yeah. something like that. <laughs> well, I don't always, I, you know, somebody probably cringed a little bit, but I, I, <laughs> have, <laughs> I have not yet, um, and amazingly enough, I've had this skillet for, um, this one's a four-year-old skillet, um, and I have yet to have any, um, any change, if, no brittling, no cracking, um, nothing when I've gone from the oven to the to the sink and you know that's not something you do all of the time but I'm able to do it with flameware it can take the it can take the shock well, so it's, it's it's definitely designed to go straight from a an over flame hot heat fire to off the flame and it it won't it, it won't crack Wow. You know, one of the things I noticed on your website is that you have many different styles of pots, many different styles of vessels. Um, are these influenced by, by other countries, other cultures? Well, you know, that's a, it's an interesting place to start. Most of the styles were out of practicality. Either my folks or a customer said we want to be able to do this and um, with a pot, and then a piece was created. Mm. And over the last over the last four years since we've taken over um, the business, we've been starting to, you know, modify some of the designs for the way that we cook, um, my husband and I, and the way we travel and um, see the world. And so, some of the pieces are influenced by you know, um, a customer, like you said earlier, Paula Wolfert coming to the Clay Coyote and asking for us to create something and others are designed from our travels. And we, um, we are actually about to embark on a trip to Paris and Prague this year. And I'm already thinking about all of the different bohemian Czech foods that are going to come out of the Clay Coyote kitchen. Um, starting in April and what, you know, the different ways we might modify some pots to, um, to cook those foods as well. Have you seen a growing interest in clay pots and clay pot cookery in your, even in, in your last four years as a owner of, of clay coyote? Definitely. I, you know, the, the very robust online group on Facebook, um, Cooking with Clay, is a testament to the love of clay pot cooking um, that's 
I see, I've seen, you know, it was simmering and now it, I think it's coming to a nice steady boil and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I, I've noticed that there are a couple of new potters who are exploring soyware in their, um, in their work. And so I feel like there's becoming more of a demand for it. We've definitely, um, the clay coyote has, we've gone out of our way over the last four years to really do kind of an, an education and marketing campaign about clay pot cooking. And I've been, you know, trying to get clay in the kitchen in front of more people so they can see it in action. And, um, and so that's been my, my personal goal to help raise awareness for clay pot cooking. So I do think it's on the rise. One of the things I, I did appreciate on your website, and I'm glad you brought up education, is a chart that's uh, on one of your pages that actually lays out um, a pretty easily understood um way of, of describing what kind of clay pots are useful for what kind of cooking, what kind of temperatures they can withstand. So if people have a, a question about, gee, can I use this earthenware on the stovetop or can I use this terracotta in an oven? Um, your, your chart, I think, does an awfully good job. Well, I appreciate that. You know, we get so many questions that I always want to have. Um, I know I can't always be available to answer each one of them, so I like to have things about the pottery on our website and oftentimes you know that just because flameware is wonderful and can do everything doesn't mean that it's gonna be the right pot for what you're making that day so i you know people often ask why we don't make the bread baker in the flameware and um and it's because you want to use the right tool for the right job and the bread baker is made out of stoneware because stoneware is a significantly more affordable clay and if I were to make a bread baker out of clay, it would be out of flameware, it would be almost double the price. And I want more people to have access to our pottery without having. So I wouldn't want to use, I wouldn't necessarily want to use the most expensive clay to make something that I could, you know, that people want to use on a daily basis um, and keep people from being able to buy it. So we try and we try and keep that in mind, and that's why we make things like the charts and do a lot of education on the website. Well, it is really helpful because I, for one, love to go into the background of stuff. And uh, one of the things I've been doing recently is simply borrowing books from the libraries that are about clay itself and its history as a cooking material. In your travels... Um, what have you discovered about how other people use clay in their cooking? Well, I think probably my most two favorite adventures for clay so far were when we went to Morocco. And my husband and I took a, a cooking course in the Atlas Mountains. And I was really impressed at how all of the different dishes were made in a tagine pot. And, and not just not just the chicken stew that night, but the breakfast was made in a tagine pot. And it kind of opened my eyes to the multifaceted uses for um, for a tagine. And I, you've probably started to explore the tagine, but that, that conical lid creates a basting environment. And so all of a sudden, once you're in Morocco and you're seeing all these different ways that it can be used, you come back and you think, well, 
what other things in my life do I want to base? Mm-hmm. And um, and so then you can you can explore other cuisines outside of Moroccan food that you want to baste. You know, every half hour on Thanksgiving morning, we basted a turkey. So what about putting a turkey leg in a tagine um, over, you know, over a few hours and letting the pot baste that turkey? Um, and or what about, you know, a pork shoulder that you baste? Um, the recipe calls for basting and putting that in there. So it's, you know, you wouldn't find a necessarily a turkey or a pork roast in Morocco, but you can think about how to um, transfer that use to um, other cuisines that you want to test out. Well, I can testify to that. Uh, At the beginning of the show, I talked about a whole chicken. That was about a (laughs) five-pound chicken. It was a huge one that I made in a fairly large roaster called probably a chicken brick. And um, as very common with a terracotta brick... I first immersed, completely immersed, both the top and the bottom of this roaster in water for about half hour. I quickly drained it, put all of the ingredients for that particular dish, which included a whole fennel, sliced onion, red onion, uh, peppers, sweet peppers, um, marjoram, uh, tarragon, and Sauvignon Blanc. And this is a combination I'm not used to. (laughs) Uh, I put them all in the roaster, stuck that into the oven, and never opened up the uh, cover because it was basting itself. And I, you know, this was my first time out, so I was trusting this. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. when I took that, that dish, that big roaster, out of the oven an hour and a half later, Every single type of meat on that chicken was absolutely moist, and the yeah. skin was crisp. The perfect bird. I was sold. <laughs> I was sold. And I think it's great that people can find out more about clay cooking and more about clay coyote by going to your website. Morgan, what is that website? It's just claycoyote.com. And you'll find extra recipes and videos under the blog tab. That's my favorite tab because there's so much good stuff in there. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.